Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Now, mate, this is Bob Hoskins. The movie you watched last week, The Long Good Friday. Did you like that movie? I did like that movie, Mr. Yeah, Hoskins. well, I'll tell you something. I don't fucking like you, do I? I don't like the look of your face. I don't look like your beard. You're, you're all shaggy. You don't look like a man. I don't like you, and I don't like your podcast. But I'm here because I was asked to by a very good friend of mine, mm-hmm. Lawrence Olivier. Now, you may ask yourself, why is Bob Hoskins friends with Lawrence Olivier in the afterlife? Well, it turns out we're both actors. Okay, well, my other question is, mm. uh, why would Lawrence Olivier ask you to come to this show? I don't know. I really don't. He said he wouldn't even own it. Was he? I believe, I believe he was. Was he? Oh. Uh, maybe. I'm He's not... got a bad memory. He's very old. So do I. Do you know when you go to heaven? Do you know this? When you go to heaven, you keep getting older. That's weird. Yeah, it is. So wait, what happens when you get so old that you just crumble? You don't. You just don't die. You just keep getting older. Hmm. Yeah. Do you get memory loss? No, I remember everything pretty damn good. I don't know why I said myself there. <laughs> I don't give a fuck, do I? <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> oh, Bob. Did you ever see Super Mario Brothers? What's that? Did you ever see Super Mario Brothers? Yes. I was in that. <laughs> I know. Yeah, Jason, it's a real good movie. J- Jason loves that movie. Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, sort of a magnum opus, you might say. You, you know, you guys, you always schedule the time to open the show like three, four minutes before Jason gets here. Yeah, yeah there's a reason. Oh, oh. Yeah, we don't like him. Oh, okay. Right. Don't like him very much. Oh, oh, I think he's coming in now. You get to meet him. No, I'm leaving. <laughs> but just before I go, I just want to say, I don't like you. I don't like this podcast. Fair enough. But this has been fun. Bye. Jason, say hi to Bob Hoskins on your radio. Hey, Bob Hoskins. Yeah. Oh, I was. I, okay. I like that guy. He's yeah, great. Man. He was in Super Mario Brothers, you know. Oh, there he goes, floating away. Yeah. He's floating up to heaven. Mm-hmm. Back mm. to heaven. Goes Did Bob he talk Hoskins. about heaven? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, was it cool? Um, it sounds actually not that great. Oh. Yeah, well, you just keep you just keep getting older. Apparently, well, let's mull that around the back of our heads, and uh... I think we should do the whole podcast about it. <laughs> Want to get metaphysical? <laughs> Want to get deep? Let's get metaphysical. Physical. physical. Metaphysical. Let's get philosophical. All right, it's enough circle jerk. We got a movie to talk about, Brendan. Well, you, uh, Jason, this is a podcast. And of course, as per usual, our uh, guests didn't actually introduce the podcast. No, they never do. They, that's why, specifically why we invite them here, and then they don't. Yeah. But this is a podcast called For Screen and Country. Yes. And I am Brendan. And I am Jason. And we talk about the top 100 British films of all British time, as rated by the British Film Institute. 
1999, the year of our Lord. Yes, the British year of our British Lord. 1900, a British, 90, British, 9. Possibly one of the most British years, 1999. But, what, wait, one of the most British years mm-hmm. of 1999? No, no, no. no, no. 1999, <laughs> comma, one of the most British years. <laughs> Why'd you put a comma in there? Because it's, uh, it's 1999. One of the most British years ever. I don't like that grammar. Mm. I believe I would put a 1999 and then a dash. So now, you're, so now you are discriminating against the very people whose films we are watching. A hyphen and then one of the Brit- most British years. That's not how I do it. Well, that's... that's you You say sabotage. You know I say sabotage. I quit. All right. Well, I guess it's just me talking about a movie, so uh, brassed off. Hey, <laughs> uh, Jason, I'm gonna, I saved the sinking <laughs> ship. Here we go. Um, okay, so, yeah. All that nonsense aside, we are going to talk about a movie this week on the list, number 85, Brassed Off. Deep, a deep cut. Deep cut. But before we do that, Jason, we should read some comments from last week's film, The Long Good Friday. Not The Long Kiss Goodnight. Or His Girl Friday. Or Friday, Next Friday, or Friday After Next. I do apologize, folks. Jason had to step out of the room for a moment. Um, second week in a row, I am soloing these comments, and I know you're all giant fans of it. Look, I'm doing what I can, okay? Let's read some comments, though. Let's read some comments from the long about the long Good Friday from some of our listeners. Uh, Thomas Blick says, The last scene in this movie is a masterclass in acting, conveying emotions on film without using words. Hoskins manages to portray everything you need to know. Fantastic film. Yeah, that is the big thing from that movie is that that last scene with Hoskins is so incredible. Just a solid, like, I mean, shot for 10 minutes apparently, but a solid, like, couple minutes of just Hoskins' face just reacting to a situation, his slow acceptance of the consequences. It's so beautiful, and it's all Bob Hoskins acting. It's just, it's incredible. Um, Just wonderful. Thank you, Thomas Blick. Um, I also want to say that too, like I kind of put the word out there for people um, that this movie was kind of compared as the British version of the Godfather or the British Godfather. And I just wanted to get that out there to see what people thought. Uh, Jennifer Eaton said, I loved it, but I would compare it more to Goodfellas than the Godfather. That's interesting. Um, I feel like Goodfellas is more of like a rags to riches kind of thing. I mean, to the point where that song is even in the movie. Uh, but I, I don't know. I feel like the Godfather comparison is closer. I think it's like a, one man atop his empire as it slowly comes like crumbling down. Uh, you know, modern things are happening in the world and he kind of has to adjust. And it's, yeah, you don't want to adjust with the times and you kind of, you kind of, you're down for the count, as they say. No one says that, just me. Uh, Wickham Clayton says, saw it for the first time in December. It blew me away, and I'm not sure there's an American equivalent. It's distinctly British all the way through. Yeah, that's fair. I would ag- I would agree with that. Uh, okay, we got a major comment here, so I'm going to save that one to the end. But Tom, yeah, says, I don't know that it's necessarily the best of the British gangster films. It was a remarkably fer- fertile period, all told, but it's singular and iconic, and in many ways it's certainly the most representative and characteristic, alongside a couple of others, Essential viewing in any case. That's the hottest take I could get, guys. <laughs> that The Long Good Friday is a good one. Maybe not the best. Uh, okay. Yolan Allen. I'm, I've given up trying to pronounce your name. I apologize. I, I've launched all my best guesses. But uh, this is a little bit of a hefty comment, so bear with me here. 
He says, absolutely love this film. Safely in my top five. It may be my favorite non-Python British film. It has wonderful imagery, action, dialogue, and phrases. Bob Hoskins is an absolute tour de force throughout. Magnificent, whether it is insulting the wimpish mafia, being falsely grandiose of his own power, or in the quieter moments using his facial expressions to portray a wide variety of captivating emotions. The film is also probably the pivotal 1980s film of Britain, especially London, which is amazing as it was made at the very start of Thatcherism rather than summing it up at the end of the decade. That is, I, just to uh, break in here just for a second, that is interesting that this was a harsh criticism of the Margaret Thatcher era. And yeah, it was like just beginning this that, this idea of Thatcherism. Uh, most of these movies you see, like war movies get made, um, I mean, some can be made around the time, but the most like you know in-depth kind of examination of of the nature of war, those movies get made years after the war. And here's this movie just fucking right in the thick of it, laying it on. Uh, back to the comment, it says uh, it has central themes of patriotic nationalism being tied in with capitalism and development, while the threat of the IRA and the troubles lurking uncomfortably in the background. Also covers the aim to be involved within Europe as well as looking to enhance relations with U- with the U.S., with Thatcher getting very close to Reagan. Seemed to be quite an ironic ending as well, with the British Harry Shand looking on, uh, looking on Britain not having to rely on the Americans due to the growing relationship with, within Europe, whereas now they are seeking for stronger relations to America to compensate for the fallout with the EU. Oh shit, topical. Uh, the one thing I struggled with on my first watch was the synth score, but this has also really grown on me at, uh, this has also really grown on me at times, particularly, particularly in the emotional roller coaster of the final scene, which is basically just one man's face. Yeah. Thank you for that comment. That is, that is amazing. Um, yeah, the synth score was something that I was kind of not dreading, but I was like, man, this, I really dig this, but it seems kind of funky for a movie like this. But I liked it a lot. It really worked. Um, it was really great. So yeah, thank you everyone for the comments. That's wonderful. Um, the last thing we're going to do here is comparing this film, which is number 21 on the BFI Top 100, to number 21 on the AFI Top 100, which is the film Chinatown. And I did get a note from Jason just before I came on to do this. He has not seen Chinatown, so he's got to give it by default to the Long Good Friday as the victor here. Um, I have seen Chinatown, and I would still give it to the Long Good Friday as the victor. Chinatown's great. It, it really is, but Long Good Friday blew me away. This was a fucking masterpiece of a movie. Um, yeah, I, I gotta say, this one this one takes it for me. Uh, yeah. So, the BFI claims a victory. And as we kind of wrap that up... Or as I kind of wrap that up, because Jason is just waiting in the other room here. We are going to now talk about this week's film, Brassed Off. Jason, that music can only mean one thing. This movie has a fantastic soundtrack. Yes, and this movie entitled Brassed Off, 1996. Pete Postlewaite, Ewan McGregor, 
Tara Fitzgerald. Was that her name? Tara yeah. Fitzgerald? Stephen Tompkinson. Mm. As, uh, well, we should say who they're playing. P. Paul Stathwaite is playing Danny Ormondroyd. Yes. The uh, conductor. I'm, of, I'm, I'm impressed you remembered how to pronounce that, because looking at it on the page, I was like, what is this Welsh bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the late P. Paul Stathwaite is yes. the conductor for, what, what is his name again? The Colliery Band? The, the, the Grimley Colliery Grimley Band? Grimley Colliery Band. Yeah. Um, Ewan McGregor is one of the... Performers named Andy Barrow and a miner. These guys are all miners. Yeah, the, what? They're all under eighteen. They're all under eighteen, <laughs> and they all work in coal mines. <laughs> uh, it's a very problematic script. Yeah. Tara Fitzgerald plays Gloria Mullins, mm-hmm. uh, a girl who comes back to this town and sexually assaults that small boy. Uh, what? Ewan McGregor, the small boy, <laughs> with his earring. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, Stephen Tompkinson plays Phil or- Ormondroyd, mm-hmm. uh, the son of uh, Paul Slethwaite's character. Yep. Jim Carter is in this movie. National with- treasure Jim Carter. Nicholas Cage? National treasure Jim Carter. He's a British national treasure. He should be given a medal and uh, uh, displayed. Uh, he plays uh, Harry. Philip Jackson and Peter Martin play somewhat of a comic relief team of Jim and Ernie. Yeah. And uh, Melanie Hill is Sandra Ormondroyd. That is a uh, that is Phil's wife, long suffering wife. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we we're, we were talking about this movie, Jason. How would you uh, sum up what the the plot of this film kind of is? Well, if you were reading in TV Guide, it would probably read something a little bit like this. Okay. Facing the closure of their colliery, coal miners in the Yorkshire town of Grimley continue to play in the local miners' brass bend and deal with the fallout of the death of an industry. Very good. What I did notice, Jason, is you didn't mention the full plot of that movie because I have seen the trailer and Mm. I am led to believe this is a romantic comedy Ah. between Ewan McGregor and Tara Fitzgerald. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's let's that's why we play the trailer for you the know, folks. Why don't we take a listen? We don't usually do this, but yeah. I just want to give everyone a sense of if you know what this movie is about, just wait till you hear the American trailer for Brast Off. All right. Miramax Films presents a sexy new comedy that CBS Radio calls one of the best films of the year. <laughs> and Siskel and Ebert give it two thumbs up. Right. Right. The Grimley Brass Band has survived almost everything. Over 100 years this band's been going. Two world wars, three disasters, seven strikes, one bloody big depression, and band played on every flaming time. But their greatest test just walked through the door. Mrs. Foggan said, you might let me play with you. Down, boy, down. She's Andy Barrow's old flame. Do you remember me? You haven't changed a bit. You have. And she's back to join the band. Gloria Mullins. Love of me bloody life. Bloody hell. Now. Joined Bang last night, did you? Yeah, how did you know that? She's got the whole town marching to a different drummer. She's very talented. Hi, I know. We saw her. That girl blows flugel like a dream. Oh, <gasps> Danny Albandroid. At your age. And Romance is whistling a brand new tune. Do you want to... Come up for a coffee. I don't drink coffee. I haven't got any. NBC TV says it's great. Four stars. Don't miss it. It's a blast. Okay, lads. Let's do it. Ewan McGregor, Tara Fitzgerald, Pete Postlethwaite. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, eh, girls? I accept we can do without drugs and rock and roll. <laughs> Brast off. So that was clearly a trailer for about a 15-minute section of the movie. 
Yeah. <laughs> this is not a romantic comedy. Not at all. This is a very dark comedy yeah. um, with several moments of very harrowing drama. Yeah, the, the romance is almost, is very secondary to anything. Like, it's a very minor subplot that eventually comes around and allows... Uh, the band to play on at the end of the film, essentially. And Jason, this is more of a visual thing for us. Yeah. I mean, if you guys want to look it up, you could look you up the American poster for this movie. But Jason, let's just appreciate this for a second. <laughs> How would you describe the American well, poster we've got, for Brastoff? Uh, Ewan McGregor in a blue shirt that he, I don't think he wears in the movie. No. Because I don't think he has sleeves at any point in the movie. No. Uh, and then a girl that is supposed to be Tara Fitzgerald. Uh, I mean, it looks nothing like her character does in the movie and no. is not dressed like her. Uh, the two of them are, are kind of, uh, Ewan McGregor's below with his head on his hands and she's on top with an elbow on his shoulder and they're both smiling at the camera. And it's a white background, but there's like a red on, on the right side and then on the bottom left there's red and it says brassed off was the exclamation point and the tagline is together again and turning the town upside down what in the world yeah I, I can't imagine what it would have been like for somebody to walk into a cinema with only the poster in that trailer as their as their window into what this movie is of how surprised they would be <laughs> I love okay I love the fact too because like I, I feel like I don't know if I, we can argue about who the main characters are in this mm. movie but I love that Pete Postlethwaite's name is still the first one on the poster yeah. and he's nowhere to be found yeah not even on the not even on the poster <laughs> he's in the trailer at least this you, is, you get a few good lines but yeah oh yeah but it's all about how she's in the band yeah and it, that has like like the literally it is at the beginning of the movie when she comes in they're like oh you want to be in the band and they're like well wait wait a minute uh, traditionally we don't have women in this band and then she's like well my grandfather is in the band and he's like ah don't be soft you're from here you're in the band like that's it it's resolved <laughs> in 45 seconds and they and occasionally people will make you know their their, their funny sexual comments about uh, this one lady in this band you yep. know but that's it. That's but, but there's no drama about no, it, except for st- something else yeah. that has nothing to do with her being no, her, her drama in the movie is that this is about a mine that is closing down, and these guys playing in the band are, are well, uh, Danny, the leader of the band, Pete Postlewaite, this is his life, clearly. This is his most important thing in his life, his passion, and he wants nothing more than this band to go to the national finals for brass bands, I guess that's a thing? It yeah. must be. Um, and... Despite the fact that it looks like the mine is going to close, because this is a time when there's a lot of mine closures going on. Do you want a little bit of history about this, Brendan? Sure. All right, let's talk a little bit about the history of this period. Does, now, does this, is this sort of fall into a similar timeline to the Full Monty? Uh, yeah, I would say around the... Cause cause it's in the mid, they're both contemporary movies in mid-90s. You know? Yeah, and I remember in the Full Monty, they were also doing this thing where they were at the... Because you see this briefly later on in the mm-hmm. movie, where they're at the workforce looking at job postings. Yes. And it's very similar to that. Mm-hmm. So I thought maybe it's shared a similar timeline. Similar tone to the sense that it's... I don't know that it was coal mining, because I think they're in a city, but like where you have this major industry... That was once the lifeblood of the town that right. employed all these people, and now it's gone. Yeah, and they you were. Have, I think they were like steel workers. Or yeah, something. exactly. Yeah. And and then it's gone, and so you have all these guys that don't have any other skills, especially the older guys that have been doing it for 30, 35 years. It's hard to it's hard to readjust, and it makes these towns real rough places because Grimley, which is the town in the movie, is is, is a real town, but it, this town is actually based on the town of Grimthorpe. Mm-hmm. which is a coal mining town or was a coal mining town in Yorkshire and at one point had been declared the poorest town in, in Britain by the EU. Um, EU? Yeah, EU. Because it's it's just what happens. And, and actually my wife is from a town that is kind of like this. It's not even really a town, it's, but it was a, a, a little village essentially that, that until the 60s was a mining town. And then when that industry went away, because uh, actually, and it was funny because it wasn't because of any economic thing, it was because they fucked the mine up. 
it just it just people moved and there's barely anybody there now and the people that are there you know there's good people but there's you know there's drugs there's crime there's these problems that happen when you have these areas that don't have any work so you got to understand for the british coal mining isn't just an industry it's it's really a part of culture it's it's been around in britain since roman times i mean they've been actively mining so been actively mining for like thousands of years at this point um and coal has been a it's very it's easier to obtain than other stuff it burns good it provides heat it's just very uh polluted yeah so it goes back a long way and it's you know a traditionally lower cost profession at least on the ground the miners doing it you know and, and very ingrained into culture and demand for coal substantially increased over the years uh, you know through especially through the industrial revolution in britain you know this was a big time people needed more energy production more heat coal provided that and that that uh, production peaked out in about 1913 but stayed pretty high i mean it's funny that it peaked before the war maybe they had stocks ready to go but that demand continued through until about the late 60s now coal by that point was becoming an issue because you had that famous day in i think 1952 where there was an anticyclone that was hanging over london and it basically caught all the the smog in this anticyclone and it just sat over top of london for like three straight days it was this smog that just didn't go away and people died because of the air quality and like so by that point they were understanding that the coal because everybody was using coal and coal gas um so they were understanding by that point that coal was becoming less and less of a, a an appealing fuel because of the pollution and the problems it causes. Also interesting, I don't know if you've ever heard of the British coal gas study. I may have mentioned it before. I, Jack O'Brien on the Daily Zeitgeist likes to talk about it a lot. But they found that suicides in Britain substantially decreased after coal gas was eliminated as the primary source of heat for an oven. Because what in the old days, what people would do is if they want to kill themselves, they would just turn the gas on, open the oven up, stick their head in the oven and, and die and suffocate essentially. And once they got rid of that, that got rid of a very easy method of suicide that was available to people. So suicides dropped substantially. So, you know, I, I support these guys because they're workers, but at the end of the day, coal going away is ultimately a good thing, mm-hmm. um, I would say. Maybe the way they went about it, getting but, rid of it wasn't But yeah, but it was like, yeah, because you can understand why, uh, especially in this movie where this is a coal plant that is profitable. You can understand the, the just the, the sheer anger. It's like, well, why are you shutting us down? We're making money. Mm-hmm. But that's what they were doing, right? Um, so yeah, in the 60s, they started shutting down the industry, basically. Coal mines started closing. At the beginning of the 20th century, there was about, I think, 1,300 plus coal mines in England. And by 2005, there was six. Wow. So that's a huge change. So what was happening uh, through the 80s, because they talk about the strike that happened 10 years ago. Well, that what they're talking about is the, the mine strike of 1984, so they had been closing a lot of coal mines throughout the 70s under the Wilson administration. And, of course, the Thatcher administration, Thatcher being Thatcher, was going to go hard on that, Margaret too. Margaret Thatcher, everybody's favorite. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, and I don't want to put the blame squarely on Margaret Thatcher. I mean, I, I would love to, but I can't because the Wilson was just as responsible. They were closing mines for years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the coal industry, under a guy named Arthur Scargill, who headed the National Un- uh, Union of Miners, arranged a big strike. And they struck for a year. Now, it wasn't a total strike, and there was legal complications about whether it was a legal strike or not, because there weren't any trade unions that really supported it, and there were certain areas where miners kept working, but it was a year-long coal strike. But unfortunately for them, it didn't really work. It it, it caused a lot of problems for the miners, and uh, eventually resulted in these situations where the miners were offered buyouts, which we see in the movie. Yeah. Basically, a redundancy buyout, and they would take it because... And they were probably smart too because the industry was going away. Um, but 
along with the stability and and jobs and and you 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 see you see around the world we see in these towns that that these businesses go away whether it's good or bad reason it fucks over a town mm. it fucks over people it's and it can be hard to retrain people i mean i i think that should be offered the government needs to do more work in those situations offering retraining for these types of workers but you know it's tough if that's what you've been doing for a good chunk of your life it's tough to change man um so yeah, so coal is not really in a good place now, and it really, and again, it really shouldn't be, given it's uh, not a great fuel source, especially here in the developed world. Now I can understand in the undeveloped world where they need energy sources. Okay, I get it, but here we've got better options. But I still sympathize with these guys because it sucks to see any workers lose their jobs, especially workers that were unionized and were trying to you know fight this. So we do hit another, and we also with this movie we're hitting a kind of a familiar theme. Uh, is the undervalued worker. Yes. And the kind of, like you said, these guys, this low-end town. I mean, we've seen it even dating back to as early as Passport to Pimlico. Yep. I mean, that's, 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 that's a theme that runs from 1949 to 1996 as far as we've seen And that's here. one thing I've noticed about these British films, maybe compared to American films, is that you are way more often, I think, in British films to see films about the lower class. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because they're smart enough to know the audience is there, but it, it just feels like in the American film, and maybe I'm wrong, but as far as I can tell, like American film doesn't, it, it's like the difference between American soap operas and British soap operas. Many British soap operas, like the most popular British soap opera is Coronation Street, and that focuses on a bunch of lower class people that hang out in a pub. Mm-hmm. Whereas like in America, everybody's all rich and, and, and fancy and wears lots of makeup and has fancy clothes and they have big houses. and Yeah, it, it is It is almost like, it's, it's almost like a British filmmakers have a better like you said they have a better understanding of what the audience they're not aloof to or it may be different audience uh, um, wants too like maybe maybe British people are more willing to see lower class people on screen whereas Americans who want to live the fantasy of of the you know being in a, a higher social strata I mean on the other side of things I mean Downton Abbey is one of the most popular shows as well exactly so you know exactly so anything I could say is bullshit because you know the, the trends sometimes change and yeah Downton Abbey is fucking great and Americans love it but again it's that it's that upper class they're not watching a show about coal miners they're watching a show about servants in a fancy house oh no I just mean like I think the British love that show oh they too. do it's love that too. well I mean and that's show. not to say British don't love upper class shit because yeah. they fucking do clearly yeah. Yeah. I mean look at the royal family existing that's a that's a whole fucking drama in of itself but I mean I'm just saying like it's it's weird how like it, it does seem to be a majority of British films especially the ones we've talked about yeah. come from this area of lower to middle class yeah and it's good especially the kitchen sinks obviously you don't see oh, too yeah. many British people kitchen sinks <laughs> no. no we're not seeing a kitchen sink drama about Queen Elizabeth um <laughs> What, what? Oh, I hate ruling this country so much. It's so much trouble. Oh, it takes up me all day. <laughs> hey. <laughs> oh, oh, what was that? Oh, I just pictured you doing your bit with the, as a queen being like, I'm all right, Jack. I'm all right, Jack. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm all right, Jack. Well, it's funny. So most of the characters in this movie are kind of for lack of a better word, miserable. Yeah. Um, they all see kind of what's coming. They have this vote coming up, which Ewan McGregor's, like Andy Barrow says, it's going to go four to one for redundancy. They're going to shut yeah. it down. They're going to sell it or whatever, and we're going to get like nothing. Um, which interestingly, this just sorry to interrupt, but while I'm thinking of this, uh, there's, there's a scene later in the movie where they meet up with Phil after the uh, the incident at the... Uh, the mine had happened mm-hmm. and he's, he's sitting by the river and they're talking about the about the vote and how the vote went four to one 
And when the camera goes around, you see each of the faces of the other four guys there. And you look at three of them, Jim and the two other guys that are there. You look at their faces and they both have this kind of like... Oh, yeah. They all voted. Except Andy. You look at Andy. Andy's face says that he didn't vote for the... Yeah. He voted uh, for the review, for the mine. For the but review. But everybody else everybody voted else for, for, the for the money. Yeah. yeah for the money. Yeah. And, 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 that's, and that's a good... That's a sign of a great director. Yeah. And that's a sign of good acting. Because Absolutely. you didn't need to say that. Yeah. You just needed to show their faces and and convey that. Yeah. Um, but what was I gonna say? Oh yeah. So so yeah, everybody's kind of miserable. Everybody's not looking forward to this vote. That they want to keep working in the mines. But there's one person that kind of stands above it all. And we mentioned Pete Postlethwaite mm. playing Danny Ormondroyd, and yes. th- this this band is his entire life. Yes. So much so that they so they have this uh, they have this montage later in the film where they're kind of they're getting drunker and drunker mm. as they go to these different towns and. Do horrible. Like they, they get drunker and drunker and they start playing sloppily in the band and Phil's trumpet falls apart at one point. Phil's trumpet <laughs> falls apart. Danny is like trying to hold it together, um, but he's not having a great time. And he gives them this speech after they're done. And I think this is such a great speech because it not only does it show how disappointed and upset he is, but also kind of shows where his feelings yeah. on what they say is the problem. Yeah. So. And, and if we could just spend this entire podcast listening to Pete Postlewaite's speeches, I'd be down. We lost a great man. We did. They were bloody laughing at us. I mean, look at them. If some of them were alive today, they'd be turning in the bloody graves, they would. And if Arthur Mullins was looking down on us, well, God bloody help us, that's all I can say. I mean, is this what it's come to, eh? Bits of trombone flying all over the shop. Stopping march to change bloody nappies. Too bloody bevy to stay on buggering bandstand. We may as well all bloody give up. I reckon we already had done. That's kind of why it went like it did. Right, we thought we'd go out on a high note. Up now our idea of a high note's a bit different from yours, like. Go out? What are you talking about, Ernie? Go out. Danny, lad, you've got to face it. If Pitt goes, Ban goes with it. When Pitt goes? If. However Ballot goes, they'll still close the bugger. Not necessarily. Depends on... on that review thingy. Surely. Trouble with you, Ross, is you've got no pride. And you know one thing, more than out else round here, that symbolises pride? It's this bloody band. That's what. Ask anybody. I mean, if they close down the pit, eh? Knock it down. Fill it up. Like they've done with all bloody rest. No trace. From years to come, there'll only be one reminder of hundred bloody years hard craft. <laughs> this bloody band. Oh, they can shut up the unions, they can shut up the workers, but I'll tell you one thing for nothing, they'll never shut us up. We'll play on, loud as ever, starting with national semis in Halifax, win them, and we can carry our heads high and march on to the Albert Bloody Hall, all right? I think I got a national semi watching him give that speech. Hey! Um, a couple of things in that in that scene there. You heard the if you heard if you're an adept listener there, mm. folks, you heard a little cough. Yeah. Um, the, the, this is this is one of the big tropes in yeah. this movie. Oh yeah, no, it's it, the cough into a napkin, stare at it, eyes get wide and look away and walk away. Yeah, there's blood on there. It's a I think it's like just well, I mean, a lot of movies too. It's like if a character coughs, it means they're gonna die. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. To this movie's credit, he does not die on screen. No. We don't see him die. We assume he dies. We assume he dies later, but we don't see it happen. 
Because he was a coal uh, miner for probably 50 years of his life. Well, when he coughs into the thing, we see black. Yeah. Like, it's just all covered in black. So he's got yeah. the black lung. He but does yeah. that whole line about them. They, they, they cut his buddy open after he died in the mine. And the, the stuff in his lungs stained the slab. It took them a week to clean it up. Yeah, so we have that um, that little aspect. And then we also heard, like, Gloria's voice there. Mm. Um, where she says, like, it depends on the review thingy. And kind of trails off. And that's because she is there to assess yes. the mine. In the, in the case that it goes to review. Yes, she and, they, is, and they do not know this at this point. They do not, um, but this kind of that kind of sets off Ewan McGregor. Yeah. It's kind of the bells go off in his head, like, "Oh, wait, what? Why would you know that?" Yeah. Like, <laughs> but she is, but she is a character that is from her own perspective and clearly working and trying to work in the interest of the miners because, like you say, her grandfather used to be a miner. She's got sympathies with them, despite the fact that she works for management. Yeah, and I think that's why she 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 even says like, "I chose this assignment." Yeah. Like, I wanted to do this. She of wanted course. to come home and, and help her town. Yeah. And as great as Pete Postlethwaite is in this movie, you know who my... F- I, think I, I think my favorite performance in this mm. entire movie is Stephen Tompkinson as his son. Yes. That Phil is, is fantastic. His character is goes through so much shit. Oh, my God. He is, has a roller coaster yeah. of emotions, and it never feels fake. It never no. feels, like, contrived. Um what does this guy go through? Well, he uh, he has loan sharks on his back. So what you got to understand? This guy, this guy was a committed miner, committed yeah. union man. He was on strike during that strike on strike pay, which generally strike pay is about half of what your normal pay is because it's being paid out by the union. They usually will set up a fund over the years. You your union dues go toward that sort of stuff, so that in the event of a strike, that you can still get some money. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't enough for him, so he had to go to uh, loan sharks and. He owes them something. Well, I think he got about 10,000 10, 10, yeah. pounds from them. And at this point, it wasn't 12 uh, with interest. But it's been clearly dogging him for a decade. He's still doing it. And and they come to his house. They rough up his they, kids. They, they rough up his a kids bit. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, the first time they're just like, they just show up and kind of give him a dressing down. He's like, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll get it. And then the kid, this is one of my favorite lines in the movie, the kid asks about it, like, what's going on? He's like, oh, no, it's okay. It's just those were men from the local council, and they're telling us we got to have fun today or we're going to be in trouble. And the kid looks at him and goes, Dad, I'm eight and a half. Yeah. (laughs) Like, as if, I'm no idiot. Come on. What's going on? He even says, like, oh, they're from the leisure department. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the kid's not having it. No. Um, but yeah, he goes through that. I mean, his wife. His wife him. and his what? Six kids or four kids? Something I think? like He's that. He's got at least four kids. She takes the kids and leaves. Yeah. Well, uh, and part of it is because so as a side gig to help make a little extra coin, he is a clown named Chuckles. Chuckles. Now, normally when you see a clown in a movie, you expect maybe funny. If you're one of those weird people that think clowns are funny, yeah, they're not funny guys. You you, you might expect it to be really creepy. It's not creepy. No. It's just the saddest fucking clown you ever saw. And it's not that that being a, a clown is a, a bad thing. Like uh, people got to work, you know. People want birthday clowns. There's a demand out there. Nothing wrong with that. It's just that this guy clearly, like, I don't know that this is his passion in life. No. Although he seems to enjoy himself when he's doing it a little bit. But well, like, well, until the end. Until the end. Yeah. yeah. Until he has his breakdown in a church and starts telling a story about God. And I'm like, oh, that's a risky. That's a risky place to go as a as a birthday clown to start talking about God and then in a church even. Well, if we're going to talk about his breakdown, we should probably listen to his breakdown. Yeah. So so Phil's been through this, and then we had the guys come back another time, and they basically beat the crap out of him in his yard while he was dressed as a clown. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, fucked up his new trumpet that he bought that he told his wife that he had borrowed but he had paid 50 pounds on uh, for this 250 pound trumpet she finds uh, the receipt in his uh, in his coat and that's what causes her to be like fuck this I'm out 
You know, it's like we have such hardcore money problems. He wants to spend 50 pounds on a fucking trumpet. Yeah. 250 pounds on a trumpet. People coming in and threatening our lives at some, yeah. at some point. Like, like, like Phil is a guy I think he means well, but also he is just, he has that irresponsibility in him that, that uh, even if he hadn't gotten a loan from loan sharks, he probably would have had some financial problems because he's clearly not good with money. Yeah, he's kind of hapless. He's hapless. And, but, and I appreciate his dedication to the band, but it's like from, it's like you're in a bad situation. You can't afford to spend 50 yeah. pounds on a trumpet. But from an actor's perspective, like this is a guy who goes through so much and he has to go through all these. He's basically got to hit one emotion for the entire movie, just being a hapless kind of schlub. Yeah. But he's also a character, too, that he's he's not like a downer. Like he's he's generally pretty upbeat at times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he gets he has his maudlin moments, but but he doesn't feel like that type of person. No. This situation has made him like that. And obviously it kind of comes to a head. (laughs) Well, and, and that's what I mean. Like, that's why I think like Stephen Tompkinson is just. He's just really nailing it in this uh, performance here, and and I mean, we talked about his breakdown. Let's let's listen to that breakdown. This is towards the end of the film when he is in his clown getup. He is at a children's birthday party, yeah. and he just can't handle anything yeah. anymore. Well, to tell you the truth, I don't know too much about Harvest Festival, but I do know a story about God. Ooh. So God was creating man, all right. And his little assistant came up to him and he said, Hey, we've got all these bodies left, but we're right out of brains, we're right out of hearts, and we're right out of vocal cords. And God said, Fuck it, sew them up anyway, smack smiles on their faces and make them talk out their asses. And lo, God created the Tory party. Oh, may God forgive you. God? All right. Well, yeah, there's a fella. I mean, what's he doing, right? He can take John Lennon. He can take those three young lads down at Ainsley Pit. He's even thinking of taking my old man and Margaret bloody Thatcher lives. But what's he studying playing at, eh? My name's Coco the Scalp. And we should mention at the same time, he's also dealing with the guilt that he voted for the redundancy to sell the mine. Yeah, because at this point, I don't think he knows that the whole mine voted four to one on the matter. Yeah. So when he sees that, well, at that point, he knows that they, that they, um, that the mine will be sold. But he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't think he he feels bad because he's not sure how much of a landslide it was. Yeah, um, well, you think you think the idea that he'd be at least be getting the money to pay off his uh, to pay off the debt would be yeah to help. Keep I think he feels like he's let everyone. Yeah, down. exactly. He's probably feels like he's like the yeah. The other thing is we should not say we should say that this word scab is not meant to be used lightly in no. these times. No, no. In, in union terms, no. A, a scab, for those that don't understand, is a person who works in a, a union shop but is not union. Mm-hmm. And usually, in the sense of scabs are brought in when workers are on strike, it's a big fuck you to workers. And I don't know. I guess it, it must be legal to some extent because they will do it, but. It's a it, it it's not a good way to endear yourself to future work with a union if you cross the picket line to work uh, when a union is on strike. You no. are you are committing a very big sin in their eyes. I mean, so much so we get a scene um, earlier on where Harry actually briefly refers to um, 
Uh, Andy Andy has the scab. scab. And Andy takes it very seriously. Andy's ready to kill him. And he goes, okay, fine. You're just fucking stupid. And Andy actually goes, that's better. That's better, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like, which is, yeah, it was crazy. Um, Well, I mean, Jason, since this was the American trailer, let's talk a little bit about the romance then. Because this is a small part of the movie. Yes. I mean, I don't think it's meant to be the the main section. I don't even think Ewan McGregor is really the star of the movie. No. To be honest, I don't even know if it's Pete Postlethwaite. I think it's kind of an ensemble of British actors. It is. I mean, Um, really, really, Stephen Thomason maybe would be the guy you could point to since he gets the most, I think, dramatic heavy lifting in the uh, Yeah, I was going to say, he's kind of the emotional core of the movie. Um, But, I mean, let's talk a little bit about the romance. I mean, it's it's cute. It's a a nice little thing to add on. I guess they knew each other as kids, so it's reconnecting with an old flame. It gives her a connection to the town. I mean, they have this little moment, you know, we heard the trailer earlier where they had that cute little, oh, come up for a cup of coffee. I don't drink coffee. I don't have any. Yeah. Like, so you know what they're going to fuck. What I do think is interesting about their romance is that we don't even see their first interaction, their first sexual interaction. Like, no. you, you think in a movie like this, um, you know, we're talking like, well, say, let's say like four weddings and a funeral, for example. Yeah. Their first kiss is a big moment. This movie, they fuck off screen. That's it. We don't see it. Don't we only it. see them kiss at the very end of the movie. And that's in the trailer, by the way, which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they, they blew some of the funniest minds in the trailer. But that's not crazy. That's what the movies do. I just think it's crazy that they showed the ending yeah, of the yeah. movie. I mean, that's the thing, uh, you know, is that they were selling the movie as a romantic comedy. But <laughs> by the time somebody actually got into it, they wouldn't remember because they'd be like, what the fuck is this movie I came to see? This is not what I expected. No. And it's a shame because it's a fucking great movie. But like, when you're not expecting something like that, it can really throw you off. And Ewan McGregor is good. Tara Fitzgerald, I think, is very good. She's very charming. He's, mm. very, he's very charming. Oh, everybody in this movie. Um, they all do a Everybody does a lot of great, like, acting just with their face, mm-hmm. I find. Like, you mentioned the scene where we all kind of see their faces and yeah. we see their guilt about, except for Andy. Which that scene, by the way, as I understand, was cut from the American version for reasons that I don't understand. Yeah, so what I thought, I when I first read that, I thought it said that his suicide attempt was cut out of the mm. American version because that is a crazy scene. That's a scene. pretty crucial part. He is in his full clown getup. Yeah. So it's like, it's like so pitch black comedy. Yeah. But he's, but it, it didn't even play as comedy to me. I was just, just like, holy fuck. It, 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 I mean, it is funny, the idea did, of a clown hanging himself. That's pretty hilarious. In a way, because you see the giant shoes yeah. and you see the clown get up. So, yeah. I mean, that part is kind of... But he's like, he's hanged himself by one of the girders. Which, yeah. by the way, I want to know how they get up there. Quickly. That was my whole question. <laughs> how the fuck did he get up there? <laughs> how did he get up there? And how, and did, how they, did they get him down so fast that he... Then not only did he survive, he was able to leave the hospital that day. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's a little crazy to me. But, um, yeah, so they cut that scene that follows it. Like you said, when he admits he voted for redundancy... And then you see every all the other characters. And they just kind of like, they're like, yeah, okay, well, understandable. And they cut it right up until they all go to the pub, yeah. which is where, you know, Gloria comes in and says, I've set up a bank account. Mm-hmm. You're going to the finals. Here's your money. Yeah, here's the, I quit the fucking business. Here's the severance money that I have. Yeah, because it's blood money. Because Gloria finds out that her assessment means jack shit. Yeah, they don't care. It's a PR move. They had decided already to close the plant two years previously. Two years. Two whole years. So she was just being, just it was make work. It was just keeping her busy. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Goddamn British coal, Jason. Yeah. Yeah. Cole, why do you have to be so dirty, Cole? Yeah, Michael. Cole. Yeah, Michael Cole. Fuck that guy. JR forever. <laughs> 
Um, I do, I do like uh, the design of the town. Remind the towns reminded me a lot of Saturday night and Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. How everything was so close. Yeah. Um, it made it made it feel like a, a small community, and it also made it feel like everyone was very poor. And that's and that's the thing about the the big tragedy of this beyond just the work is that the community that goes away in these situations because you know again the the necessity of the industry or the whatever but the fact that all these people are living so close together like that becomes a community it 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 um uh it's people's lives ultimately and 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 when that mind goes away not only do you lose the work not only do you lose the stability not only do you feel like and you're in a bad place that community can go away because people got to move because they need work and if there's no work to be had that community dies. There's no smiles to be glad. Yeah, exactly. And and it's clear that like the, this band is part of that community because it's like a community organization because you know this is in the 90s, this is in you know this is after an era where you know people had to find shit to do. I always talk about this that people were really bored in old times because they didn't have video games and TVs to keep them occupied. And so this is what they did. They joined bands, they joined community service groups. And this is you're you're, you're hitting into like Postlethwaite's or Danny's character's point of view is that he's like, we have to keep this going. We ha- we can't stop now. Doesn't mm. matter how bad things get. People will always need this to lift their spirits. Mm. Keeps us distracted, etc., yeah. etc. Which changes at the end of the film, which we'll talk about later. Which mm. I think is a very interesting turn that I didn't expect. Yeah. Um, but I mean, should we talk about the actual? Band, the music. Yes, the in music this in this movie is wonderful. Yeah, and they they fully credit the real band right from the top, like the right actual Grimly Collier band. Yeah, they have the the full or Grimthorpe, I guess. Yeah, well, I think they credit them as the Grimly Collier band, but it's like it's like this is who's actually performing yes. for the Grimly Collier band, and I, I feel like some of the actors in the scene are probably really performing oh, yeah. because some of them don't have lines. And then there's that one scene where Hugh McGregor whistles because he lost his trumpet in the uh, at the pool hall. <laughs> yeah, he, he put, basically when he's in a, they're all in a deep depression. He 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 has a running gag where he keeps losing to uh, this guy at pool. He's a very terrible pool player, mm-hmm. and at this point he uh, he loses his trumpet to him. And the guy's really concerned. He's like, "Look, man, I, I don't want to lose you. You're my primary source of income." And he's like, "Oh, but yeah." <laughs> Which do you think when Hugh McGregor plays him later to get the trumpet back? Do you think that guy let him win? Yeah, one wonders. One wonders. Yeah, because like, like, if you all of a sudden, it's like, oh yeah, it all comes together now. You don't just suddenly get a win. So I wanna, I wanna play a little bit of the music, um, if you don't mind, that they perform. Do you mind, Jason? No, I, I, I insist. In fact, okay, good. This is this is early on in the film. This is uh, what the trailer would have you believe was the crux of the entire film. Mm. When Gloria <laughs> arrives to this town. Um, and she she finds out where the Colliery band is rehearsing. She walks in. After about 45 seconds, she's welcomed with open arms. Yeah. <laughs> and she gets a chance to perform with them. And this music that plays, um, while this is pr- being played, we also get um, shots of the of the discussion of what to do with the mines between, what is it, like British coal and whoever is making the offer, I, I guess. Is, it, is that accurate? Do you know what I mean? When in the scene at the beginning where they're playing the music, you just kind of see the argument at the, yeah, at the meeting. Yeah, I assume that's between the owners yeah. and the union leaders. Which is really cool because we see that. We don't hear them. We just hear the music. Mm-hmm. And then we cut and we even see like the post, post-meeting post interviews on like the news and stuff. And we don't, uh, we don't hear any of their comments there as well. Uh, just this music playing over everything. So let's just listen to this music that uh, really lights up when, uh, when Gloria joins them on the flugel.
yes, I let that keep playing, Jason, because I love that little tune. It's a damn good tune. Yeah. The whole movie, like I said, the, I've said it before twice, I think, already. But yeah, the soundtrack of this movie is great. Brass band stuff, uh, you don't hear it every day, and it's, it's really cool to hear it. And they use it really effectively in the soundtrack in a way that maybe in another movie would feel like far too, far too over the top. But mm. in this movie, because it is about brass bands, like like where you see like negotiations going on, and there's this really loud, like brass, really hard-hitting, fast brass music playing to... To you know, it's something that you would like play over like a battle, but it's yeah. being played over this. Well, that's true. That's true. Like after that clip, I mean, that clip, I didn't play the whole thing obviously because it was it was like a five or six minute scene. But um, yeah, like you said, later on when they're showing the meeting, the the music does get a lot faster. It gets a lot more violent. Gets a lot more aggressive. Um, kind of uh, telling you exactly what's going on in that scene without hearing what they're saying. Mm. But I would argue that's not even my favorite uh, of the musical moments in this movie. Um, there are two other very strong ones, and I mean, I'm not gonna play all of them because, like, you know, we can't. We're gonna sit here and listen to music all day. We're not gonna just watch the whole movie. I mean, it, let's do it. All right. <laughs> uh, but I mean, arguably, so later in the movie, when Pete Postlethwaite is very sick, he's in bed, he's very, he's dying. Um, Jason, this scene made me cry. Yeah. I, it's, a, it's a very I, emotional scene. I got welled up. Mm. I some some tears formed here because they all come out to the to the hospital. They're all standing outside and they perform their version of Danny Boy. Mm. Go down there at once and get rid of them. Leave them be. Mr. Ormond Royd, how are you feeling? Death's door. The bastard still take the piss. Yes, I am sorry about this racket. We'll stop it, don't worry. Stop this racket. You wake up in the next ward. And what makes it that much better is that P. Postlethwaite does not hesitate in saying, oh, they're not playing it right. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're a little fast. Uh, the, interesting though it's like that's I, I guess that's that's a reflection on him as a music guy that that's the song he would want to hear I would think that if you were dying Danny Boy the song they play at funerals would be the last thing you would well, want to hear well his name is Dan his name is Dan I get yeah. it and he's a music guy so he would appreciate the band playing it in that arrangement yeah but if it were me I'd be like come on guys really can't you play something a little more upbeat play something from the Jason and the Argonauts trailer yeah. trailer soundtrack surely there's a singer named Jason <laughs> Jason Mraz Jason yeah that's a guy yeah. is he a singer Jason Mraz? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. You never heard of him? I mean, I know the name, but I don't know if he was an actor, a model, an Instagram influencer. I don't Read know. Read his Playboy interview where, wait, is it Jason Mraz? No, it's the other douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> There's another, like, soft rock Dave Matthews fucker that's like, I forget his name, but he said his penis is racist. All right, was so it let's... John Mayer? That's the one. Ah, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so the music is wonderful. Um... What what else do you want? Kind of want to get into because I've got, I've got some stuff here, but uh, let's 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 open the floor here. Uh, I did not approve of Mister Chuckles' pants. It looked too much like a raging boner. Right. Like when he first walks out, it looks like he's just got a, just a fucking raging cartoon boner, which is not appropriate for a children's clown. Yeah. Uh, so that's number one. Uh, I already said Jim Carter's a national treasure and uh, should be on display. Oh, I do like his, uh, Jim Carter's little uh, thing with his wife. Yes, okay, so, yeah, I, exactly, I was going to mention that. Yeah. So, yeah, he only, at least through the first part of the movie, the only time he sees his wife is when he comes home from work or is going to work. They literally see each other in the yard as they're passing each other by. It's like morning love. Yeah, and, and then at one point he's just like, all right, all yeah, right. all right. 
because she is going out and standing on the line. They've got like a camp set outside the gates of the mine and it's like a it's like a protest camp that is supporting the miners and it's like the wives of miners that are supporting them and keeping their jobs. And she's going out there every day on the line protesting this and she is disappointed that he doesn't seem to have the fight he once did because clearly the, Harry was a guy that was like a hardcore union guy. He was she you know, he fought hard during the 84 strike, but now He's less interested in that. He seems to be, he's obviously more interested in the band. And she calls him on that, just tooting your horns, you know. You're just out there blowing your horns, whatever. And I'm out there on the line working every day for you and your job and our life. Keep it going. You smeghead, you. You. Yeah. And then you get, um, and there's all kinds of other little mini stories which I think are interesting. I mean, we talked about uh, Phil, who mm-hmm. has the the most I yeah. think out of ever, anyone Andy has a Andy as a character is not the most interesting one I don't no. think but he, there's enough to make him like kind of our, our quote he, unquote he's, main he's the, guy he's the main he's the young guy with the cool earring yeah he does have a cool earring yeah um, but I like uh, the whole thing with Jim and Ernie, the two older gentlemen yes. who are a little bit uh, pervy. Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> they, some real good pervy lines. They plan on quitting the band from the beginning, and then as soon as Gloria joins the band, suddenly they're not quitting the band. And Classic British comedy right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it leads to their wives uh, deciding to join the band on the road when they see this girl... This Gloria that's joined them. They're wives that not only sound like Mrs. Slocum from Are You Being Served, they're wives that look like our Mrs. Slocum from Are You Being Served, especially once they've dyed their hair purple. This big curly purple hair that they have is so Mrs. Slocum. Well, Jason, let's let the audience decide. All right. Listen for the purple. Bloody hell. Don't look like that, Danny lad. It's nearest colours we could find. What are you doing? We just found a fan club. Well, I don't think we... Oh, look, ladies, I mean, this is traditionally a, a, a male-only excursion, you know that. New lass on board, is she? Aye, that's different. I mean, she's very talented. Hi, I know. We saw her. I'll have you know, that girl blows flugel like a dream. Oh, Danny Albandroid, at your age. <laughs> Come on, love, it's not what's my line. Well, I'm a surveyor. Ah, I mean, what? You mean like a quantity surveyor? Kind of. Want to survey my quantity, though? <laughs> well, I do say no job too small. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! Feminism. That's right. <laughs> She's great. She holds her own against these old men, for sure. She does. I, I like her character a lot. Yeah. She's very charming. Um, but yeah, that's just a little funny bit there where... They, uh, they decide to join the band on the road. Um, man, what's crazy is that when they go on one of their trips, they actually win. Uh, they actually win one of their contests. They come back, and the bus just leaves, and you're just kind of like, oh, it's just back to this now. Like It's just like they have their moment in the sun, and then mm. right after that is when Danny collapses and has to be taken to the hospital. Yes, poor guy. Just right on the street, too. Just goes right down. It's, right it's down. a hard scene. It's yeah, hard I, scene. I fully expected a funeral scene in this movie yeah. and didn't happen. You'd it's, think with a whole brass band, it would be make for a visually interesting funeral scene. You yeah. could do it like New Orleans style. I wonder if it was a... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I wonder if there was some sort of studio persistence to not do that. It's like, we've had enough dark well, shit. you know what I think it is? I think this movie ultimately swerves us in a couple of ways and it's mm-hmm. not what it seems to be so I think it's kind of good they go that route because you expect him to die yeah 
I mean, it happens in every other movie where something like this happens. It's like, oh, give do give one for the Gipper, you know. Like, I mean, you expect a few a few things like we mentioned, like I mentioned earlier. Um, you expect uh, Hugh McGregor and you know Tara Fitzgerald to have their they're sexy and you expect to see that. That's yeah. that's usually what happens. Um, you don't see that. It's completely off You see screen. him walking out of the house and then Pete walking by. Uh, Pete, Danny walking by. Yeah, saying like, oh, Ooh. you got your mind on other things, huh? Yeah. He's like, look, at yeah. this, look at this guy. Can't stop thinking about Pitt. Yeah. Which, is that a sexual thing? I Do mean, it, it could be. I mean, that's the thing. is that British slang is such that anything is sexual, I suppose, if you say it in the right inflection. That's true. I mean, I watched Are You Being Served. I've heard all the Dublin Tom. No, oh, I like the way you say that. Um, yeah, no, I, I and and going back to that romance thing, I like that. That's it. Never feels forced. It just feels fun and light. Yeah, it's just it's it, they're having a little fun on the side, uh, despite all the darkness. You know, it's like even in the darkness, you got to find the the you got to find the little sources of light that are out there. And you don't and like a lot of movies like this, when when he kind of turns against her a bit because he you know he sees her as the enemy. No, she's management. She is the enemy. Well, that's what I mean. You don't you don't it, like a lot of movies. You're like, all right, come on, dude. Like it's a misunderstanding. But in this movie, you're kind of like, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of on board. It, it is kind of I'm, weird that she's been like not telling them about this. And then, yeah, and then I mean, maybe that's more advantageous to her position to help them. But it, it does feel like yeah, it's they they would probably want to know that. Although we probably wouldn't have a movie in the same way if if she's like, oh yeah, I work for the company. Get the fuck out of here, you crazy. Yeah, then the movie would all be about would be all about. Oh my God, they're getting a girl in the band. Uh, oh, I feel good. Councils come down here. They tell us we have to have the girl. <laughs> New laws. I'm so glad we didn't get that movie. Yeah, the me Americans too. promised us. Um, Women can't play a flugelhorn. Can't even play a euphonium. It's a euphonium. I think the. Other side? No, other side. Oh, it's a plane. Predator drone. Two Hellfire missiles armed. I think the biggest turn that I didn't expect that caught me off guard is the speech at the end. Yeah. So another moment. I'm not gonna lie, Jason. This was another moment. I- tears formed mm-hmm. because Danny is in the hospital. Yeah. They they finally agree that they're gonna go to the finals. They they didn't think they were going to do it, but they're like, "Fuck it, we're going." Well, up, it helps that, that uh, the what's-her-face, Gloria gave them the money. Well, Gloria gave them the money, yeah, yeah, but they had no intention of going. Yeah. Uh, they finally agreed to go with this money that Gloria has gotten from the company. Because they just don't want to kill uh, poor Danny. But <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, we can't do it. Sorry. Yeah, well, yeah, Phil can't find it in his heart to tell him, and, yeah. then, he, and then he finally does, yeah. and we don't even see that scene, which mm-hmm. is interesting. But then we just kind of see Danny looking very upset yeah. after Phil gives him a message saying, we're going. All of a sudden, Danny's bed is empty. Oh! <gasps> Where did he go? He escaped. And he shows up to enjoy the performance of his band. And, oh, just like... Playing the most, like... Playing a very stereotypical brass band song in the William Tell Overture. Pete Postlethwaite just comes in the way he comes up the stairs so meekly and just mm. like looking around like all proud and stuff but not in the and not in the over the top way yeah, this isn't mr holland's opus no but just like that subtle like oh he's just kind of he's just kind of entranced that these guys took it upon themselves to do mm. it mm. but then it makes a bit of a 180 because they win the contest but then pete postlethwaite or danny gives this speech this band behind me i'll tell you that that trophy means more to me than out else in the old world but they'd be wrong. Truth is, I thought it mattered. I thought that music mattered. But does it bollocks? Not compared to how people matter. Us winning this trophy won't mean bugger all to most people. 
But us refusing it, like what we're going to do now, well, then it becomes news, doesn't it? You see what I mean? That way, I'll not just be talking to myself, will I? Because over the last ten years, this bloody government has systematically destroyed an entire industry. Our industry. And not just our industry. Our communities, our homes, our lives. All in the name of progress and for a few lousy bob. I'll tell you something else you might not know as well. A fortnight ago, this band's pit were closed. Another thousand men lost their jobs. And that's not all they lost. Most of them lost the will to win a while ago. A few of them even lost the will to fight. But when it comes to losing the will to live, to breathe, the point is, if this lot were seals or whales, you'd all be up in bloody arms. But they're not, are they? No, no they're not. They're just ordinary, common, a garden, honest, decent human beings. And not one of them with an ounce of bloody hope left. Oh, I... They can knock out a bloody good tune. But what the fuck does that matter? Now I'm going to take my boys out onto the town. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. It's and it like you think the whole time he'd be this character that's like you know the music is important we got to stay above this we got to bring you know keep our keep our minds off of it but yeah. he totally changes no he he, he understands like the, the the people are what matter at the end of the day and I think he always knew that but he finally realized that the music had been kind of getting in the way of him he, he couldn't see the forest for the trees as it were yeah. It reminds me kind of, of of like if there let's let's say for example there was an actor who was a great actor everybody loved him and he's you know he's he's you know he's up for an award one year and so he's like you know I know you have these really strong feelings like I know you feel just as awful about this stuff that's going on as we do why don't you say something if you win and they're like no oh, no that's not my place yeah, like yeah. It's just, and then they go to the and Oscars they, and they finally use that platform for something yeah good give their give their yeah exactly kind of like what Joaquin Phoenix is doing this year yes um, every one of his speeches has been fantastic well, that's good good for him yeah um, what 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 I like about this ending uh, and about how this movie plays out is that it is it has the bones of a, of a conventional type of picture where you have a group of people working together in a competition and going to the competition, going to the finals and winning the competition. So you've got that going on. But ultimately, what, what subverts that is the fact that nobody wins at the end of the day. Like, there's no winners because, yeah, sure, they win that competition, but they're still going back to Grimley. They're still going back to a town that's going to die because they don't have any work anymore well what does he say it yeah. doesn't fucking matter it doesn't fucking matter that's right it, it ultimately and and it, the, the other irony of this movie is that the few scenes you see them in the coal mine it just looks like hell down there yeah and, that, and it was it sucks working in a coal mine but that's how important these jobs are is despite the fact that these are fucking terrible jobs these guys are fighting or well, at least at one point we're fighting with their heart and souls to keep them because they need them as a living, yeah, they just they need that money. All and if they that means do. working eight to twelve hours a day in the bowels of hell, then so be it. Yep, you nailed it. But they can't even do that. No, the bowels of hell have been closed. Interesting down. thing I read though uh, is that with with Brexit happening, there's a chance that the coal mines might come back because then England is not no longer under EU like 
emissions regulations or regulations when it comes to that sort of thing and that uh, they could see money in selling coal to the developing world. Mm -hmm. So for good or ill, there may be more jobs in the coal industry for people that want them, but that's to be seen. And then, Jason, you know immediately what I thought of during the final moments of the movie. Mr. Holland's opus. No, no, no. The final musical performance. Oh, yes, of the William Tell Overture. Uh, After that. Oh. When, oh, Land of Hope and Glory, of course, yeah, Macho Man Randy Savage. I mean, of course. I, as soon as I heard it, I was like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> and that plays to end the film. Uh, maybe we'll end the episode with that, who knows. Find a techno remix? This is why I edit the show, <laughs> not Jason. Also because I'm lazy. Well, that's true too, I guess. Maybe, I don't know. You can edit it if you want, Jason. Take the reins. Fuck you. Oh, wow. Um... Yeah, I mean, just some some random thoughts I have here. A lot of casual male nudity at the top of the film. That was that was interesting to see, right? Um, oh, and then in the shower opening credits, male nudity. Was there dicks? I didn't see dicks. No, there was some. There was some butts. Oh well. I mean, you got a shower after you're in the mine. Um, I do. I do. That's why like, these guys are so tight? They're that intimate with each other. That's I why do, they're such good friends. I do like little touches, like Phil being so poor that he has to basically get on the bike with Danny, like yeah. on the same bike. Um, uh, love the shots of the town in this movie again I've yeah. said this before in every every fucking movie we've done with mining towns but I love the wide shots of the, the town the cinematography is beautiful in yeah, these movies it looks great and the production design yeah. is amazing very nice um, I wrote down I'd never get to see Pete Postlethwaite play a good guy very often no no he's, which was, he's got that face for villains you know which is wonderful I love seeing him play a good yeah. guy he's so he's so good in this movie yeah. and he doesn't even play this role like you think he was yeah he chews them out Mm. A little bit, but there's love there. Yeah, and there, he never comes across as cantankerous or like you know, a, you know, uh, uh, he's he's not a J.K. Simmons in Whiplash. Like. No, no, he he loves the music and he's a bit hard about it sometimes. But I think, but ultimately, the end of the movie proves he does care about the people more than anything. The other thing I said I really enjoyed, I thought was really funny, just a quick bit, is when the ladies are all at the hair salon mm. and they say, "Oh, this band has taken over Danny's life. It's all he does now." And literally, they're sitting at the hair salon. They've probably been there for like. Six Six hours yeah. <laughs> of the day, every day, you know. That's their thing. I just thought that was a funny, ironic little comment. Absolutely. Um, any other things you want to point out, Jason? I'm hoping you liked the cut of people's jibs. I do. I like all their jibs. Um, oh, they, they use the word pillock in the movie, which is a British term that I don't hear enough, and it just means a stupid person, but, oh, yeah, pillock. Oh, okay. That's a wonderful, wonderful term. Um, By the way, if I was going to give an award for best like ensemble, this this would be up there. Yeah, this would be up there. I think Passport to Pimlico, you might want to put in that uh, in that category it, too. It felt a, it felt like full Monty, but a lot darker. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely similar similar idea, similar um, I guess vibe to it, but mm-hmm. but yeah, but full Monty's like the after part. Full Monty's like after the work's already gone. Yeah, how do yeah. they deal with it? Well, yeah, because full Monty when that movie starts, they're already applying for jobs. Yeah, and this one to. they're gonna get to that point eventually yeah. <laughs> so so there's a good chance that uh, uh with some some uh precisely placed cg we could turn the full monty into a sequel to this we just have to deep fake everybody in the movie to be okay. the actors from this movie i'm liking it keep going martin scorsese cgi people's faces which is ironic i don't know if you've seen on the internet floating around uh, somebody compared how they did the de-aging in that movie to somebody doing it themselves with like available deepfake technology and the deepfake technology actually looked better in some cases. 
Well, I don't know if they could sustain it over a three-hour movie, though. I don't know. I don't know. Um, We'd have to see. I'd like to see somebody try. I, I really like Because that would be a much cheaper option than probably the way they went about doing it. I really like the de-aging CGI in The Irishman. I thought it was very good. Um, but anyway, we're not talking about The Irishman. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on this movie? Just that, we... it, just that I really liked it. I really liked it. There's not too many movies. I mean, like, we, we've watched some movies that are interesting, and we've watched some movies that are, are important, and mm-hmm. not all of them are always entertaining, but this movie was fantastic from start to finish. The characters are great. The story is, is entertaining. It subverts your expectations. Uh, I mean, I can't recommend it enough. Okay, well, I'll get you to repeat that later. <laughs> when we get to the uh, the final thoughts. Did you ask me? I just meant on the movie. God, Jason. Budget of 2.8 million pounds. And it made 3 million pounds. That's a win. That's a profit. Well, maybe. Maybe. Well, I can't not... imagine they spent a whole lot on advertising it. Clearly, Possibly not, not that much. Yeah, it's definitely the Americans. We got like, the interns to handle that trailer cut. Yeah, the Americans are not going to give us any money. All right, I think it's a romantic comedy. <laughs> um, doesn't go to the Oscars. Nothing there. No nominations or wins. It would have been nice to see Pete Postlethwaite get something, or you know, the score, the score yeah. of the movie. Like, come on, forget about it. Brass band is great. It should make everybody happy. At the BAFTAs, it's nominated for two awards, loses both to a film that we will eventually talk about called Secrets and Lies, mm-hmm. but it's nominated for Best British Film and Best Original Screenplay. Loses both to that movie, though. Mike Lee. Because, you know, Mike Lee had to win that year, yeah. so the head of BAFTA could say, we don't need to give him another award. He's that's Mike right. fucking Lee. He's got it. He's done. <laughs> Which is, I still think that's crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's a pretty pretty quick wrap-up there with the the awards uh, awards and notes and all that stuff. Uh, this movie is uh, pretty well liked. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes, 79%, uh, which is Solid. pretty good for a comedy like this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Comedy, I mean, yeah. Com- com- I would call it a drama, a drama with comedic elements. Uh, yeah, I would call it a comedy with dramatic elements. See, I, I, I found that I just, I watched it more as a drama than there was those funny moments, but ultimately, like, it, it didn't strike me as a comedy, though it was sold that way. And All there right. are, like I say, there are some real funny moments well, in it. Well, hashtag Team Comdram and hashtag Team Dramcom. That's right. Yeah. Tell us who you like. <laughs> Tell us who you voting for. Uh, okay, well, yeah, so overall, Jason, I mean, you kind of already said it, but like... I'll, I'll say it again. Okay. <laughs> overall, Brendan, this movie was fantastic start to finish. The cast is great. The story is great. The story subverts expectations. Um, the music is wonderful. The cinematography is wonderful. Uh, we've watched a lot of movies over the years. I guess it is years now. It's two years, like, almost. Yeah. This. yeah. We've watched a lot of movies over this podcast, and, and sometimes they're important, and sometimes they're epic, and sometimes they're they're just, they're grand, and or sometimes they're small, and they're personal, but this one was just entertaining as hell. Uh, I mean, it's a dark movie in places, but overall, I, I really liked it. I really appreciated the message of it. I don't support coal as a as a form of fuel, but I, I, I empathize so hard with those workers and their desire to have a steady life. And like you said, anytime they show the coal mines, they don't they don't paint it in a very positive no. light. So this movie, it's not it's like it's not like this movie is even supporting coal. This, I think it's not a pro coal movie, but this is a pro worker movie. Yeah, supporting the idea of these guys needing a living yeah. to survive. Absolutely, um, and I think that's important. Yeah, no, I, I really like this movie too. Um, I kind of didn't know what to expect going in. I did actually because I thought it was going to be a romantic comedy because <laughs> that's how it was always described. Yeah. Um, so I was shocked when she Gloria comes in the room is it immediately accepted. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I really liked it. Um, everybody's good in it. It reminded me a lot of the Full Monty. Yeah. Uh, it, a lot darker than that movie though, and 
Yeah, it moved me to tears twice. How can I say something as bad if it does that? Now that's a recommendation, folks, from Brendan. Put it on the back of the box. <laughs> I cry because I'm a crybaby, crybaby, crying. Brendan Wall. Wow. <laughs> that's how it's going to be. That's how it's going to be. Well, on that note, Jason, speaking it's time of... Time to fight. Speaking of... Whoa, what? <laughs> oh, no, no, we're going to roll first? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of crying, uh, which we might do. We might do, yeah. <laughs> um, it's time to roll that dice. Is this the week we have to watch Colonel Blimp? I want to watch it, but it's really long. Well, you know, Jason... The, the dice gods like to toy with us a little bit. That's true. They do like to give us long and then short movies, and we just did a f- somewhere in the middle. So. Yeah, it was about just under two hours. Yeah, an hour and an hour 45 or something, or something like that. Yeah. So, Jason, what I am going to do here is I have a ones D10, which is a red, as you can see. Uh, is that a good angle right there? Can, can you all see that in the light? Uh, wait, is it, I'm getting a... Can you shed... Can you throw some bounce on this? Click. Okay. <laughs> and a, uh, also got a tens D10, a green one, mm. as you can see there. Wait, let me turn the lights on that one, too. Okay. Click. Oh, thank you. No problem. That's not what bounce is, but all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to roll these dice this time, and I'm going to get a number, and that number is the movie we are going to discuss on... For Screen and Country. <laughs> on the BFI Top 100. No, we're going to discuss it on this podcast. Yes, but it's going to be a number on the BFI Top 100. That we discussed. That I roll. Third base. What? Who's on first? <laughs> so here we go. Let's see what decade, uh, list decade, we're in first here. So we're going to be in the 20s. The 20s. We don't have a whole lot left in the 20s. All right. All right. Uh, all right so all right. let's see here. Let's see what I see if I can get, get us lucky here. 27. We already watched Dr. Zhivago. Oh, we're doing it again. <laughs> Once was enough. Thank you. All right. 20s again. All right. 25. Don't need to watch Full Monty again. Okay. Hey, that's weird. We just talked about a movie that's very similar. Hmm. All right. Let's see here. Tens. Okay. We got a few in there. Uh, 14. We already watched Saturday Night and Sunday Morning. All right. (laughs) Let's get to that point, Jason. Yeah, it's going to happen. Tens again. Jesus. 13. The Lady Killers, 1955, Ooh. Alexander McKendrick. I have seen the 2004 version with Tom Hanks, but I, I have not seen the original. I have as well. And Jason, you asked for it. You got a short one. All right. <laughs> pretty sure Sweet. It's, a, it's a short it's a comedy. Comedy with... I don't know who's in it. Alec Guinness. Oh, sweet. Yes. Is he in the Tom Hanks role? Uh, yes. Or Is he? Tom Hanks in the Alec Guinness role? Wow. <laughs> I expected it from some people, Jason, but not from you. Hmm. I just love Tom Hanks so much. He's so great. And I love Alec Guinness. But... Imagine, what would it sound like if Tom Hanks was Obi-Wan Kenobi? Wow. Wow, Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> well, that's a name I've not heard in a long time. And now Tom Hanks is Alec Guinness's character from Bridge on the River Kwai. Well, guys, guys, we got to build that bridge and we're going to show these Japanese motherfuckers. He wouldn't swear. We're going to show these Japanese fellas the 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 British could build a bridge, and finally, as his character from Great Expectations. Well, I like that pretty girl in the house. <laughs> All right, perfect. Also, apparently, Sling Blade. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, uh, yeah, we'll talk about the Lady Killers next week. I'm super excited to, talk, to see this movie. Should uh, be a good one. I, I've always heard about the original. I have seen the remake, and we'll talk about the remake eventually. Yeah. But we're going to talk about a 1955. Would you say Alexander? Alexander McKendrick. McKendrick. Okay, I think we've done a movie by him before. I'm not sure. But we'll find out when we remember, because we have bad memories. But Jason, until then, I will just want to say that uh, you can follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can find Jason on Twitter at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. And you can get, uh, read some of my tweets, such as a recent one where I tweeted, The older and balder I get, the more I like Phil Collins. That's yeah. the kind of that's the kind of content you can expect from my Twitter account. That's the kind of A grade material you can expect coming in. He's coming in hot. It's Jason McLeod with the Phil Collins humor. Pew, 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 pew. And finally, all I've got to say to you now, Jason, is God save the Queen. God save the screen. And for Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. <laughs> Let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love good movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one-line splat holes and gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy With your friend Stephen Izzy At eilfm.podbean.com Hi, this is Tony, the host of the Flix X-Raid podcast 
Each week, I am joined by guests. Hello. Yo. Why, hello there. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hello. And we have a roundtable discussion where we dig deep and x-ray a bunch of our favorite films and some really terrible ones, too. We really like to go back and take a look at films that may be forgotten, maybe in the past, and still lovable films. If you want, you can follow us on all the major platforms, iTunes, Google, Stitcher. If you want to find out more, you can find us online at www.flixxray.com. And you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram if you want to reach out to us. Good night, Internet.